0: good morning. Appreciate uh, Ben as he leads our uh, music and tech ministry and uh, everybody who's a part of that up uh, in the booth there and on the stage. Appreciate you guys and the way you help us worship every Sunday morning. Uh, Thank you for doing that. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm John, one of the pastors here at North Park, and today we're excited that you're here with us, whether you're in the building or joining us online, uh, we're in week four of a seven-week series, it's called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, and we're looking at some parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13, and uh, if you want to open up there, uh, we'll be there in Matthew 13 as well as some other places, but... Uh, if you want to follow along, we'll have the verses on the screens for you. And then if you're a note taker in your bulletin, there's a sheet there where you could take some notes and things that impact you. Uh, Pastor Phil is uh, with some of the other men at a retreat at Lake Ann, and he'll be back next week to continue our series. Today, we're going to talk about the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, some of you know, uh, just recently uh, I was married it's, uh, three months ago, but when I began dating uh, my soon to be wife, Brenda, as we got to know each other, I asked her things about herself, but I also asked her, "What are some things I need to know about you to be a good husband?" and one of the things that she said is, "If you say you're going to do something, then do it. so don't tell me you're going to do it if you're not going to do it so and wives you can't you don't need to elbow your husbands when when, when you say that, right But uh, I think we all appreciate that, right? if somebody says You're going to do something to do it. So uh, on Friday, I told her Saturday at noon, I'm going to watch a football game and I did it. So things are good. But I think we all have a hard time, right? When somebody says they're going to do something or they promise you something or you buy something and then you get it and it's not what it's supposed to be. We all can get frustrated. In fact, there's a business principle. Those of you that are involved in organizations or in selling things, right? It's under promise and over deliver, right? Because none of us like to be disappointed. No one likes to be disappointed. So, uh, I bought a, uh, little balloon powered car for my grandkids. And when I looked at it online, it was so cool. You just, uh, hook a balloon up and you pump it up. You, you let it go and it just flies across the floor. And then there was this rocket ship that was part of it. And You could hook it up and it would go all the way up to the ceiling. I'm like, this is so cool. And then I got it and it was much smaller than I thought it would be. And It kind of went across the floor and it didn't really go up. It went up just a few feet. I was so disappointed. Like, this was not what was promised to me when I looked at it or how they sold it. Uh, Maybe you have a friend who goes, oh, I just saw this movie. It's the best movie ever. You're like, oh, man, I got to see this thing. And you go to it and it's like, "Eh." no, this wasn't wasn't that kind of movie, right? So you kind of feel let down, like they over-promised about what it was going to be. We all struggle with politicians. It's hard to find a politician that we can trust because they all come with we're going to bring real change. And we have all these ideas we're going to do. And then it seems like so many of them get into office and everything they promised goes out the window and it becomes about themselves or just keeping their position. And we're disappointed. You have a parent who tells their child you can go out and play with your friends or you can go somewhere after you clean your room. And then you get busy with some stuff. And on their way out the door, you ask them, did you clean your room? And they say, yes. And then you go into their room and stuff is stuffed underneath the bed or uh, the closet. Everything's thrown in there. The bed's not really made. So they overpromised and under delivered. Right. They didn't really clean their room. And then occasionally we have a step parent maybe who hasn't been involved in a kid's life. And he's always promising, I'll be there. And a birthday party is coming and the parent says, I'll be there this time. And then the birthday party comes and they're looking early and they're looking during the party and afterwards and they don't show up. So we experience that a lot of times where people say things or they make big promises and then they don't follow through. Here in Matthew chapter 13, as we look at the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus is saying, Hey, the kingdom of God is like this. And he's using ordinary everyday things that people would be able to identify with today. It's seeds and trees, and he's just using everyday things to tell these stories, to try to help them understand what the kingdom of God is and what he's promised about the kingdom of God. But these aren't ordinary stories. There's a guy named Klein Snodgrass, like All the smart people have these really weird names, like Klein Snodgrass. He's written some commentaries, but he also wrote a book about the parables. that is very helpful, and it is called Stories with Intent. That's how he describes these parables. There's an intent that Jesus has in telling these stories. And then someone else said, we can think about the parables like this. They are imaginary gardens with real toads in them. They're imaginary gardens, but there's real toads. There's real truth in them. They're fictional stories intended to communicate important truths to us about God's kingdom. In fact, Snodgrass says what they do is they give us handles to understand these truths about the kingdom. And the genius of it is, while he's describing it, they're going, yeah, seeds, trees, I get that, right? But then the next time that they're out and they see a tree or they see a seed... They remember back, oh yeah, Jesus told that story. So it's helpful in the moment, but it's also something that will be repeated because they're going to see these items again in their everyday life. The kingdom of God is like, there's some things that we need to understand. So we need Jesus to help fill in what the kingdom of God is like with these stories. And Jesus, when he arrived, he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. It has arrived, but it doesn't seem to be what the disciples and other Jewish people were expecting it looks like maybe god has overpromised and underdelivered has he is the ministry of jesus really the beginning of this kingdom that will be more powerful than anything on earth they're not sure and we may feel the same way at times too we may feel that the presence of god or his work In this world and in our lives, isn't really all that impressive. In fact, it can seem almost invisible at times. We're expecting more from God. It can be discouraging. It can cause us to lose hope. And when we aren't confident that God is at work and that he does see our struggles and that he can help. So it's important for Jesus to kind of paint this picture for us with these stories. Because nothing is more important than a healthy understanding of the kingdom of heaven. For the early disciples and for us so i trust our hearts will resonate with the words of this old hymn tell me the stories of jesus i love to hear things i would ask him to tell me if he were here scenes by the wayside tales of the sea stories of jesus tell them to me and so this morning he tells us the story of the parable of the mustard seed now when you look at these uh, parables One easy way to try to get to the meaning is just to take three simple words, and I like to do that this morning. Three different conversations. The first is the setting. What is going on in the context? Who is he telling it to and why? The story itself. And then we look at the significance. What's significant about this story? So let's look at the setting first. The Jewish people, based on promises and prophecies from the Old Testament... We're expecting God to establish a kingdom. It would be a religious kingdom, but it also would be an earthly kingdom, a political and military kingdom. So in their mind, it certainly would include overthrowing this Roman empire that is ruling the world and who is ruling them. If a kingdom is promised that will be established on earth, it makes sense that this Messiah, when he comes, would overthrow this powerful Roman empire. But instead... This Messiah, Messiah just means king or ruler. He comes in a very unimpressive way. We're starting to think about Christmas where we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus, but it was anything less than spectacular. He was born secretly in a manger and a manger is a feeding trough for animals. With no fanfare, he was born to a disgraced teenage girl who was pregnant but not yet married and his dad was just a common carpenter he appears to be normal like every other person they're going like isn't this joseph's son like didn't he isn't the guy from nazareth he doesn't look like a king and he has done some miracles and he's teaching in a unique way they recognize his authority but they're wondering is the kingdom of god already present with this guy Is this really the kingdom of God? In fact, John the Baptist, the one who introduced Jesus and was baptized by him. In Matthew 11, he asked the questions, not just the disciples. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. He sent disciples to ask, are you Jesus? Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? They're struggling like this isn't what they were expecting. Now, why is John asking this question? At least part of it is, where is he writing from? He's writing from prison. John the Baptist and the disciples and many others, they are facing tremendous persecution. Persecution from the Jewish leaders who feel that their religious power is being threatened. And they will eventually have a mock trial and take Jesus to be crucified. From the Roman Empire who saw this Christianity as a threat to their power. In their minds, there was only one Lord. Jesus is not Lord. Caesar is. And so they see that as a threat to their political power. And they will be complicit in this crucifixion of Jesus and killing him. And so John and the other disciples, they want to know, is Jesus worth following? Is he worth going to prison for? Is he worth being persecuted for? Should we maybe die ourselves for believing in this Messiah? And we may experience similar feelings. We look at parts of the world where Christians are hated and persecuted, even martyred for their faith. You want to read some of those stories, go to Voices of the Martyrs. Just Google that and find their website where they tell the stories of millions of Christians all over the world who are persecuted and martyred. There's ways that you can pray and support our brothers and sisters around the world. We live in a nation that's now described as post-Christian. That means that Christianity is no longer the main religion in our country, which means that Christian values and ideas are no longer dominant as an influence in our country. And this can be discouraging because our nation was founded on some basic Christian principles, and we've experienced tremendous religious freedom But that's changed. It's changed in the White House, depending on who is in the White House. It's changed in our courthouses, decisions made not only by the Supreme Court, but across the nation. It's changed in the schoolhouse, where these ideas are not only being allowed in our school, but they're being pushed in many occasions that are contrary to what we believe as Christians. But it's also true in the townhouse, meaning our own homes. Where Christian values are being compromised or these secular ideas or immoral ideas that go against our Christian faith are being experienced. And many in our country would call us bigoted and exclusive for standing up for our belief in the Bible and for believing that it's authoritative and true and living and active and able to change people's lives. And all of this happens while we try to seek while we seek to love all people. And you personally might be in a place where you are mistreated by family or friends or co-workers because of your faith. And maybe you're overwhelmed by illnesses or sickness, maybe worry or unanswered prayers for unbelieving friends and family or just needs that you have that are real and you're desperate and it doesn't seem like God is answering your prayers. And so maybe we, too, need the parable of the mustard seed because that's the context in which Jesus tells this story. So that's the setting Next, let's look at the story. The story is a very simple one. It's only two verses long. We've read it uh, just a moment again, but let me read it again for you. Matthew 13, verse 31. He told another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in his branches. Now notice, he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. He said it's like a seed that's planted and grows into something big. And so immediately we're drawn into a contrast of a small seed, something insignificant, almost invisible. And yet it grows into this large tree-like plant. And we're used to this in our world, aren't we? I've got a tree here. It didn't start out like this. It started as a seed. One summer uh, during college. Uh, down in Florida. So uh, I did a paper route for my uncle, and so I did that from like 1 o'clock to 5, 5.30 every morning during the night. And then I went to a, uh, a citrus nursery where they grow orange trees. And I had this incredibly boring job after being up all night, sitting out in the sun doing this. We had these uh, crates that had all these divided areas, and I had to put these little black plastic uh, containers in there they were open in the bottom and had to drop these little plastic net like things in there and fill that move it and do the next one and from there those were taken and they put soil in them and they put a seed in it and that would be the first place that it grows then it might be replanted in a container like this but we're used to the idea of you plant a seed you get a tree and that tree can continue to grow into something very large some of you might remember uh, joe Curlich. And his amazing pumpkins that he grows. So he was kind enough to give me a seed. You can't even see this seed. This grows regular pumpkins right here. You can see a few here and there's out there. We all know pumpkins. But if you want a really large pumpkin, you get a larger seed. But this can grow into these huge pumpkins, hundreds of pounds. And so you see the three there and you saw a picture there of uh, Allie and Tanya sitting on a pumpkin. So we're used to that idea. They can see little tiny seeds. They can be planted, and with the right attention and care, they can grow into something very large. In both the Jewish and the Greco-Roman world, there was a proverbial statement that included the mustard seed. They were known for their small size, even though literally there were other smaller seeds. Some people get hung up on that. It was just kind of a statement. As small as a mustard seed. That referred to something very tiny, and that certainly would include the mustard seed. Here's a picture and a mustard seed is about uh, one millimeter in diameter. And so it takes about 725 to 760 to make one gram, which is one of an ounce. So we're talking something very tiny. And there are different kinds of mustard plants, actually. So he's saying this little tiny seed, though, can be planted. It can grow into something very large. And some people get hung up on whether the mustard uh, plant actually can become a tree or not. Again, in parables, we don't need to try to find the exact point, but there are different kinds of mustard plants that grow large. In the next picture, you can see this is kind of a field, but a lot of these plants are known to grow up to be 10 to 12 feet. And then here's another kind of mustard plant, kind of tree like, that has grown. So that tiny seed can produce this very large tree-like plant so large that birds can come and nest in it that's basically what jesus is talking about so my question is when jesus tells this parable the kingdom of god is like a tiny mustard seed that when it's planted it grows into something very large which part do you think would have been shocking to these jewish people the part that says that the kingdom of god is this great big thing or the part that the kingdom of god is a tiny seed It would have been the tiny seed. All they knew of the kingdom of God in their minds was it was going to be something that was dramatic. God's going to rule the earth. So when Jesus says, well, it starts off, though, as a tiny mustard seed, that would have been shocking to them, which is the kind of the point of parables to get your attention, to make you think, well, how is the kingdom of God like a tiny mustard seed? Well, the kingdom of heaven starts off small, but becomes the greatest one of all. You guys read that with me? The kingdom of heaven starts off small, but becomes the greatest one of all. So, what does that mean? What's the significance of that? And that's our third conversation. We've seen the setting and the story, so, what is significant about that for the original hearers and for us today? For the original audience, it meant that the kingdom of heaven can never be stopped. The kingdom of heaven can never be stopped. In the midst of their persecution and doubts, they can be confident that Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven. And they should not despise this small beginning. They shouldn't think, this isn't the way it should be. Where is that kingdom that we were promised? Like a tiny tiny mustard seed which grows into a large tree-like plant, the kingdom is present. Even if it's undercover or unnoticed or ignored by some... One day it will be seen fully and all of its benefits will be realized. Klein Snodgrass put it this way. I thought this was brilliant. The end, the end that everyone knows and longs for is is already in the beginning. The beginning inaugurated by Jesus and now at work. The kingdom which has already come does not come with a glorious bang and the defeat of Rome. Rather, it comes unexpectedly, almost unnoticed. And then listen to this. But all that is necessary is already there. The end is present in the beginning. In the end, the greatness and the benefit of the kingdom will be a present and wonderful reality. Jesus is trying to get those disciples to understand it doesn't look all that impressive right now, but this is going to grow. The kingdom of God can never be stopped. The kingdom of God is here. In the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the doubts, hold on to the fact that the kingdom of God can never be stopped. Now, what about us today? The kingdom of heaven can never be stopped. As we think about a tree that grows large, large enough for birds to come and nest, if we're familiar with the Old Testament, we might think of Daniel and a dream that a king named Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 4. He has this dream of a tree that grows large and birds come and nest in it and he's not sure what it means and he needs somebody to interpret it. So Daniel comes in and interprets the dream for him, and it represents the kingdom. And in fact, in this dream, his tree gets cut down because there's a greater and more important kingdom than his. At the time, he is the greatest ruler in all the world. But in his dream, this tree grows and it represents his kingdom, but then it's cut down. And after the interpretation, or actually right before it, here's what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 3 about God's kingdom. How great are his signs, speaking of God, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom, will last how long? Forever. Say that again. How long? Forever. Forever. God's kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. So this king, the mightiest in the world, recognizes that there's a greater kingdom than his. It is the kingdom of God, and it is coming, and once it arrives, it will last forever. Back in chapter 2, he had had a dream about a statue, and the statue was different kinds of metals, and it represented other kingdoms, But there was a stone that crashes down on the feet of that statue and breaks them. And it's a stone not made by any human hands. And it represented Jesus. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, all the other kingdoms, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. So this kingdom that God has promised... He is not over promised and he is not under delivered. It arrived with the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as he entered into our world. The kingdom of God began then and it is a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be conquered. It will last forever. And the tree is already grown into the largest, longest lasting kingdom in history. Christianity is not just a localized religion like it was in the time of the disciples. It now is a worldwide religion. Those disciples, it would blow their mind to see where the gospel has gone. Rome tried to stamp it out, but by persecuting the early followers, they spread out. And the gospel went to every corner of the Roman Empire. And there are branches all over the world. It went to the Middle East and then to Southern Europe and then to West Africa Or West Asia, excuse me. Then to North Africa. Then it went to Western Europe. It came to America. It went to Africa, to Latin America, and then to East Asia. There are branches all over the world. There are branches here in Grand Rapids. If you go and look on the wall out there, the first picture that represents this body of believers that we now call North Park There's a small chapel there that an individual student from Moody Bible Institute started with a Bible study. If you look at the dates on there, it was called Fairmount Park Mission from 1908 to 1948. It started small. It didn't look all that impressive. But over time, as more people became Christians and came to know God and became followers of God... The church grew, and you can look at the pictures, and there's different buildings, but those buildings just represent people. They represent lives, and we partner. Just our little tiny church here, we partner with missionaries in Brazil, in Colombia, Washington D.C., Iowa, Inner City Grand Rapids, the Philippines, Ecuador. We partner with Bibles International, does translations for all over the world. Eurasia, as the Kresge's represented, uh, send and worked with those in those countries, India, and so many more. There are branches all over the world. The tree has gone from that first convert of Simon Peter to millions. The kingdom of God can never be stopped. That Roman Empire that existed then, nowhere. Those religions that were practiced back then, most of them do not exist today. But Christianity, 2,000 years later, still exists the kingdom of god can never be stopped the end is in the beginning as jesus brought the kingdom of heaven and we as christians might be tempted to be discouraged that our country and our community isn't as christian as it used to be we have to be careful not to despise the small beginnings not be too discouraged that things aren't happening in our church or in our neighborhood or in our world the way we think God should be working if the kingdom of God is here. And as Christians, we can have a conviction that the kingdom is here and it won't be contained. It is an ever-growing kingdom and God is at work. So what is our part in this kingdom then as we wait for this ultimate kingdom to be installed when Jesus will come back again and he will establish his kingdom Well, we have the spirit of God living inside us if we know Jesus and we get to join in in his work, his kingdom work. And the way we like to say that here at North Park is we get to be disciples, becoming more like Jesus, who make disciples, helping more people come to know Jesus. And we do all of that as we sung this morning for the glory of this incredible God who is the ruler over all the earth. And so while there are many branches, the gospel has gone to many places There are still unreached people groups and regions. There are still many people who don't yet know Jesus the way that we do. And there's people right here in Grand Rapids that we interact with on a daily basis who don't know Jesus. And so our responsibility is to be salt and light. To represent our king. Our responsibility is to be faithful to that mission and to do God's work God's way. The parable is a caution for us that Christianity most likely will never be popular. And when we're not seeing the results that we'd like to see, we have to be careful not to compromise our message or to compromise our methods in order to get more converts. Our duty is simply to love the world through evangelism, missions, and service. And oftentimes that's in small ways. The reason we're a part of this Operation Christmas Child. What an incredible thing. Those numbers that she shared. That one day somebody had an idea. What if we just took a shoebox and filled it with tiny gifts that we could give to somebody in another part of the world and we could include the gospel message with it. And then uh, either next week, no, a couple weeks, we're going to hear another testimony of a kid who got a box. And how he came to know Jesus and how he's serving God now. The impact. But it doesn't look all that impressive. Let's fill some shoeboxes and send it around the world. Here at North Park, we encourage you to have some people in mind. And what is the grand plan? We're going to pray and ask God to work in their heart and life that they would come to know Jesus. And we're going to invest in them. We're going to build a relationship. We're going to love them and do things for them and meet their needs. Also, we can maybe invite them to a gospel conversation or invite them to an event somewhere they can come to understand how much God loves them and that God is building a kingdom and he wants them to be part of it. So we have to be careful not to despise the small beginnings, not to despise that God isn't doing what we would think should be dramatic. We don't have to do everything big in our student ministry. We have a saying that you can't do for everybody what you can do for a few. And so we ask our leaders to focus on just a few students each year. Invest in those students. And if we can change the lives of a few students and they can do the same thing for other people, then it will spread. And that's really what you see with Christianity. There are occasions when God does the dramatic, when hundreds or thousands of people might come to know Christ all at the same time. And even in our own country, going back to the Great Awakening, there have been times of revival. Where it was very spectacular. But for the most part, the kingdom of God grows from small beginnings. We reach out to a neighbor. We tell someone we love them and God does too. One person gets saved here and maybe that impacts a family. Another person gets saved here. The kingdom of God can never be stopped. No matter what it looks like is happening right now. So don't give, on the, give up on the hope that God is working right now. Again, you individually might be in a place where you seem overwhelmed in life. That there are things going on in your life that you just feel like you're at your breaking point And you're asking God to do something. And it doesn't feel like he's hearing your prayers. I don't know if you've heard this song on the radio. It's called God Turn It Around by John Reddick. And this is a song that I put in my playlist When I was going through a time where I needed God to do something for me. And it didn't seem like it was going to happen or it seemed impossible. And in it, he says, I'm calling on the name that changes everything. God, turn it around. Because all of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come in the name of Jesus. God, turn it around. Speaking of God, he's up to something. God is doing something right now. He's healing someone, he's saving someone. God is doing something right now. He's moving mountains, making a way for someone. God is doing something right now. Where is he doing it? Who is he doing it for? If you're involved with believers on a regular basis, you'll hear some of those stories as God answers prayers. Sometimes in the nick of time. Sometimes way ahead of time. So you'll hear some of those stories when you interact with God's people. But the point is, God is working. He is doing something. His kingdom is here. So if you're in a place where you need that hope, just hang on to that. Hear the message of the parable of the mustard seed. That the kingdom of God is like a seed that starts small and then it grows into something big. Lastly, before we finish, I just wanted to say this. I believe that the parable... Gives those of us who know Jesus hope and confidence and encouragement, but it also provides a challenge for those of you who don't know Jesus to make sure that you are identified with the kingdom of God rather than being in opposition to it. Make sure that you are a part of it, and you can do that the same way that we became a part of the kingdom of God in a very simple way. Because the story of the Bible really is a God who stepped into chaos. And he created a world where he created human beings and he created us to know him and be in relationship with him, to help him manage this world, to help us reflect who he is, to represent him. But the way the Bible describes it, we choose to go our own way. We want to do things our own way. We do what the Bible calls sin. It's a separation from God that happens because we don't keep his commandments or we're not able to do everything that he requires of us sometimes we feel it in guilt and shame and that we know we've done things that aren't right or we've been unable to be who we want it to be and so we feel shame and guilt and we're not sure where to turn with that and the incredible thing is we could never do enough good to overcome our bad that's not how it works But you might be in that place where you keep trying to turn things around. You keep trying to do things better. And what needs to happen is that you come to the end of yourself and you realize that Jesus is the one who came into our world. He brought the kingdom of God, but he entered as a human being. I don't know how that's possible to be 100% man and 100% God. But that is what God did. That's what the Bible tells us. He became the God man so that he could feel what we feel and know our experience. And yet he never sinned once. And then he gave his life on the cross as a substitute for us. So we don't have to do good. We need to receive the good that Jesus has already done. And that's how you become part of the kingdom. You say, God, I'm done trying to do this myself. I can't fix me. I can't deal with the guilt and shame. But I'm going to put my faith in Jesus who died for me. And then rose again. God, would you come into my life? And give me that righteousness and goodness that I need to have a relationship with God. That God could become my father. That could be part of a family. And so everyone who trusts in Jesus alone gets that. And we call that eternal life. And that eternal life is something that starts now and it lasts forever. And so as we wrap up with the parable of the mustard seed, I just say to you, if you don't know Jesus, if this is foreign to you, There's an invitation that you would accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can do that on your own. Or you can come and talk to one of us. We'd love to help you become part of the kingdom. So the caution of the parable for us as believers is, if we're not getting results that we want, don't compromise the message and the method. Have faith. The kingdom of God cannot be stopped. Do God's work God's way. And the caution for somebody who is not a Christian yet is, There is a time of judgment that's coming. You can go and watch last week's sermon about the wheat and the tares. And next week, Pastor Phil is going to talk about hell. There is a time where God will judge those outside of the kingdom. But he's offering a way to get in through his love and through Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to do that today. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for these. Stories that you've given us in Matthew 13 to try to help us understand the kingdom of God. There's much for us to think about and grasp. And it will take us a lifetime and we still won't understand all of it. But we do grasp the simple truth that the kingdom of God has small beginnings. And then it's ever growing and can never be stopped. Would you encourage our hearts with these truths? Would you help us to live in a way that we are sharing in the mission and responsibility of the kingdom and if there's someone here who's not yet part of the kingdom would you help them to take those steps that they would join in what you're doing in this world and god we look forward to when jesus comes he sets all things right and then we do get all the benefits of the kingdom no more sin no more pain no more death no more struggle we just get to be with you and naturally trust and obey and worship you forever God, thank you for that promise. Thank you that you never overpromise or under deliver, but you always do what you say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.